This message is brought to you by ABC Church in Ammonford, West Wales. For more information, please visit our website at www.abclife.org. Come our way sometimes that we wonder why they happen. Excel conference that we're attending to uh, attending in the next couple of weeks is held at Life Church, and we were supposed to today have Andre Lesseur, who's a great friend of this house, isn't he, uh, come and speak to us today. But sadly, he had to cancel due to having to fly to Canada to see his uh, mother Ingrid, who is very, very unwell. Mike, if we can pray for Ingrid and the family at the end of the service, that would be uh, really good, wouldn't it? And secondly, I wasn't in a position then, as a result of me having to come and speak uh, today, to pull forward the last message in my It's Okay Not To Be Okay um, series. And uh, so I was in one of those situations where I could preach one of those messages that God has laid on my heart. Any of you who are preachers here, you will know that when you read through Scripture, and if you study it systematically, as you read through, there's so many sermons and messages that keep popping out of God's Word that you think you can share with the church. So I was trying to praise this through over, you know, which message, Lord, do you want me to pray, seeing as Andre's, uh, want want me to preach, sorry, seeing as Andre's not coming. Uh, And I got my answer last week when uh, uh, Ian came and preached his message called The Radical Christian. And so I had it in my heart to speak on the subject of tolerance, equality, and radicalism. These words that are very, very hot words in our society today. And the subject that I'm going to tackle today is the subject of tolerance. The subject of tolerance. So, as usual at ABC, we all like to give our messages a title. So I was trying to work out what title should I give it. So I thought of a title first of all to the message, which was going to be called, For Goodness Sake, Grow Up Man. I thought that would be a good title, for goodness sake, grow up. Or around the subject of tolerance, I thought I could have a, another um, message title, which would be, oh my gosh, I'm offended. I could have that title uh, as well. And I didn't go for either of those. I've decided to tie in with Ian, and I suppose he spoke part one called The Radical Christian. My message to you today is called The Tolerant Christian. It also has a subtitle to it, though, which is, if you're offended by what I say, for goodness sake, grow up. (laughs) Because that's precisely the problem that's being created in our society today, is it not? We have this tolerant society. In fact, if you want to read a whole book on the subject, there's a fantastic book by Professor um, D.A. Carson that I read recently called, ironically, The Intolerance of Tolerance. Really, really great book and probably the best book I've written on the subject as I've been studying it. But the dictionary tells us this. Remember last week, um, Ian gave us the Uh, the definition that the dictionary gives about the word radical. The word radical is to get to the real root of an issue. Departure from traditional methods to be progressive and innovative, affecting the fundamental nature of something in a far-reaching or thorough way. So I want us to radically approach this subject of tolerance today, if we can. And the definition of tolerance... Uh, according to the Oxford Dictionary, is the ability or willingness to tolerate the existence of opinions or behavior that one dislikes or disagrees with. I'm going to read that again because I think it's really important when you see where I'm going. Tolerance, according to the dictionary, 
is the ability or willingness to tolerate the existence of opinions or the behavior that one dislikes or disagree with. Yet, what is happening in our increasingly, in inverted commas, tolerant society today is precisely the opposite. I was in London this week, and uh, one of the things that happens on the London tubes is, as you know, they've got the Metro and they've got the London Evening Standard newspaper that they will thrust into your arms as you go down into the uh, tube in the evening. So I was driving home, and um, the article that was in the Evening Standard uh, on Thursday, the 12th of November, um, was train halted for wrong type of graffiti. Train halted on the front page of the London Evening Standard, and it said this. This is how the uh, article went. Um, Thameslink um, have cancelled trains due to the wrong type of graffiti on their trains. Let me get to the uh, bit of it that I uh, want to read to you. Childness Laura Bufton, 31, of St. Albans, saw the graffiti before boarding the train, but said the graffiti was largely illegible. She added, I couldn't make out what it said, and to be honest, I wasn't offended by it all. To be honest, this is completely crazy. Why did we cancel a perfectly normal working train and inconvenience so many hard-working people who just wanted to get to work on the off chance that someone might be offended by a small piece of graffiti draw drawn on the side of the train? I'm sure people would prefer to get, off, uh, get to work with offensive slogans on a train than to have it cancelled in the first place. Would you agree? For goodness sake, grow up, isn't it? Interestingly, they interviewed a train driver. The train driver told me the trains are taken out of service if the graffiti is racist, sexist, sexist offensive, or mentions or illustrates certain body parts. Personally, this is the train driver saying, personally, I'd rather they kept the trains in service, got people to work on time, and then sorted the problem out later. Yeah. I tell you, Mr. Stubbs, the train driver, ain't half talking a little bit of sense, isn't he? Because if we are going to walk around in the world every single day getting offended, excuse me, I do really like the top that you're wearing today, Aileen. You might think it's really nice when you put it on this morning, but I'm offended by it. For goodness sake, what would you tell me? Grow up. Grow up. <laughs> Why are we living in a society that we say we are tolerant, yet we, be, we have become and are becoming so intolerant? Listen to this. This is in 2005. The cooperative bank decided to send a letter to Christian Voice, an organization that has uh, very strong Christian values, um, and the cooperative bank wrote to them and asked them to close the bank account because they disagreed with the position that they held. They quoted, Christian Voice needs to close its bank account with us as it is incompatible with the bank's position. The public statement read like this. It has come to the bank's attention that Christian Voice is engaged in discriminatory pronouncements based on the grounds of sexual orientation. This public stance is incompatible with the position of the cooperative bank, which publicly supports diversity, listen to that phrase, publicly supports diversity and dignity in all its forms of our staff, customers, and other stakeholders. 
Now, in sending a letter to Christian Voice to close the bank account, they have broken their value of diversity because they just asked one of their diverse customers that has an opinion separate to theirs to close their bank account. Because why? The cooperative bank are afraid that people will get offended. What would we like to say to the cooperative bank, everybody? For goodness sake... It gets worse. Worcestershire is one of the counties of England that produces fantastic pigs. Brilliant. Anybody have bacon this morning? Anybody like pork? Thank God for the farmers that are in uh, Worcestershire. However, the Council of Dudley in 2009 reached a moment of stupidity that is hard to believe. The Council of Dudley in Worcestershire decided to ban all images and representations of pigs from its benefits departments on the grounds that Muslims coming in for benefits might be offended. Calendars with pigs, porcelain figurines, even pig-shaped stress relievers. How many of us are those in our office? Pig-shaped stress relievers... Uh, all had to go, including a tissue box that one person wanted to hold on to that depicted Winnie the Pooh and the piglet. It had to go. All this is in part of the country that traditionally has grown lots of pigs. And when pressed to explain why pigs had to go, Mahbubur Rahman, a Muslim councillor in West Midlands, explained, it's a tolerance of people's beliefs. Stunningly double-speak, isn't it? Well, what about tolerance of those that think differently? I mean, I think pigs are quite cute, particularly the ones with the little images and little pigs. You know, I don't think like the proper sow that's in a field of all filthy and stuff. But pigs, you know, for goodness sake, don't get offended by pigs. But this is what he says. Uh, as one media outlet put it, tolerance has on the lips of Mabu Rahman and in the decisions of Dudley Council be conf become confused with is Islamist supremacism. One should not doubt that Muslims ought to be free to express their dislike of pigs and pig representations. And we agree with that and we respect their views, don't we? However, the problem is rather that Mr. Rahman thinks that by getting rid of pigs and pig representations is now his moral obligation to hold that virtue above other tolerances. Whereas he himself is under no obligation to uphold the virtue of tolerance and permits those who rather like pigs and their representing to keep them to be alienized. And this is what's happening in our society. Week after week, day after day. Little by little, our freedoms and a lot of the things that we have in our society are being marginalized and alienated in the name of free speech. And what I would like to say to everybody is, for goodness sake, grow up. Because to be offended is something that you need to deal with. But I want to ask a question before we get to God's word. When we use the word tolerance, what do we actually mean? Sadly, this word, like many others, has changed over time by what we call semantics. 
Semantic change, or also called semantic shift or semantic progression, is the evolution of word usage, usually to the point that the modern meaning of a word is radically different from the original usage of it or what it was created or intended to be. So the best example I can give you of this word that I could use today of semantic progression or semantic change is the word gay. Now, in saying the word gay, people listening online and people here in this room, some of you might already be sucking in air. Because here we are as a Christian church and most people know our views on being gay. But what happens instead of in a society where we can talk freely about these subjects with mutual respect for one another, lots of people, particularly in Christian society today, suck in air and prefer not to talk about the subject. And please, pastor, don't use the word gay in our church. But let me explain to you how this word has changed slowly over time. You see, originally gay in the 13th century meant to be light-hearted, joyous, or bright and showy. So if you had seen me or met me in the 13th century, folks, how would you have described me? Gay. It acquired connotations of immorality around 1637. And it became that way by uh, gay women that became prostitutes and gay women, you know, people who were happy and trying to be charming in in order to win others. And this word became one that was associated with people around that 1600s time, people that were associated in prostitution and womanizing, etc. A brothel at that time was actually called a gay house. And then what happened is over time, by 1897, the expression gay cat referred to a hobo, especially a younger hobo in the company of the older one in the US. And by 1935, the word was now being used in prisons as a slang for a homosexual boy. And its first use in 1951 or thereabouts, the word gay was a word that was used to refer to homosexual people. So this word gay has changed over time. And my major concern, as Ian uh, preached so well last week, get that on podcast if you want to, of this word radical or being radicalized. I tell you what, I want all Christians to be radicalized, to go back to the root meaning of Scripture, to what we really believe and believe in it passionately. I'm not talking about extremism and violence at all, but that's what the word radicalism has come to mean. And in the same way as these words change, I am becoming increasingly concerned about the use of the word tolerance, particularly in the way that Christians use it. You know, it made me laugh a few weeks ago ago when we talk about semantic change. Uh, And uh, Dan, how old are you, Dan? 23, 24? 23. 23. Dan's 23 years of age, and he was leading the service here on uh, one of the youth mornings. And after we'd finished praise and worship, everybody went and sat down. And Dan picked up the mic and said, that was fantastic, church. Wasn't worship wicked this morning? Did Did you pick it up when he said it? I'm thinking, how that word has changed. Because uh, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, if our worship was wicked, I'm pretty sure, you know, we would all be burnt at the stake or something. Or maybe I need to go back about 300 years for that. But words change. And my concern is how this word tolerant is changing. And we as a church need to defend what is right, good and proper, don't we? Don't we? We are defenders of our faith. You see, what has happened is at the risk of offending people with certain beliefs and opinions... We have apparently become more tolerant. When we haven't, we've actually become less tolerant. 
to diverse views. And what we are doing in society increasingly and increasingly much more is to shut down these opinions and these voices. You see, in our society today more than ever, we need to question our plausibility structures. You know, everything that you and I believe is filtered through our own plausibility structure. It's the belief-forming part of our brains that acts as a gatekeeper, letting in evidence matched against what we already consider to be possible. Possibility structures filter out claims that we believe cannot be reasonable or potentially true. They don't necessarily tell us if a claim is true, only that the truth of the claim appears plausible enough for us to accept that we are not wholly unwarranted in thinking it could be true. Whether we are gullible or skeptical, the beliefs we accumulate are those that have been filtered through plausibility structures at the individual and cultural level. These eventually form our own worldview, which itself becomes a broad strainer that filters out beliefs that we won't even consider to be possibly true. So an example of this I could give you is, imagine I was to uh, go to bed tonight and go through my usual routine of uh, going in, washing my teeth and everything, get ready to go to bed. And as I go to bed, I'll do my usual thing, which is, you know, get my socks out ready for the morning or whatever, so that I don't disturb Ruth by opening the drawers and disturbing her sleep. And as I go to get my socks out of the top drawers, I usually do. Imagine I found a chocolate biscuit, a personally prepared chocolate biscuit in the top of my bedside cabinet put there for me to have a midnight feast. Do you know what assumption I would make? I would make an assumption pretty immediately, based on what I know about my house, is that probably my wife or children or somebody, had, or somebody that has access to my house had come and put it there for me. But if you were to come to my house and me explaining to you what happened with that, and you were to argue that tree-dwelling elves that live at the bottom of my garden had broken into our house, switched on the oven, and cooked it themselves and after climbing through the dog flap, and come up and opened the drawer and put it in there for me, I would think you were clean off your head. And the reason I would think you were clean off your head, and the reason you think I might be clean off your head, and the reason you might be thinking you're right going off your head right now, is that our own plausibility structures in our minds right now are helping us to come to those conclusions. And what we must do is, is always question our own plausibility structures. We've had to do this with our universe. That's what good science is about. Where we question every truth that we hold, where we question every so-called truth that we hold, and we question the structures that we have in order for us to be able to move forward and to learn from them. Otherwise, they become what Tim Keller calls defeater beliefs. Because if we have a defeater belief in our mind, we by default cancel out any other belief that could be true. So an example of one of these defeater beliefs is what's happening in our education structure at the moment in the United Kingdom, which is the, uh, the communication of the theory of evolution. It is a theory we must question it. We must question that plausibility structure around evolution and natural, uh, natural selection. And I want to tell you that one of the reasons I am a Christian today is because I looked into the matter myself and I could not get my mind to not just, not the Big Bang stuff. 
where I got converted is at a chemical evolution basis. I find it hard to believe that in inert objects or inert matter, I mean, look at this, what is it, carbon and, uh, you know, whatever that's making up this kind of phone that I've got, it can't just decide to become a living thing tomorrow. It can't change and suddenly become a living thing. And that's where I had a a problem with the whole evolutionary thing. I, I just couldn't understand how that could be that inert material should suddenly become living. And I decided as a result of that, there had to be an intelligent being. And long story short, I came to the conclusion that the God of Bible is that when he took the dust of the ground, breathed into it, he formed man and it became a living being. So that's what I believe. Now you might think that's like me believing in elves at the bottom of the garden. But I'm entitled to that opinion in a tolerant society. And equally, if you want to believe that men came from Venus and women came from Mars, you want to believe we came from monkeys, you want to believe that we came from billions of stardust things and particles, millions of whatever, believe what you want. But I'm entitled to my opinion too. I'm entitled to defend my opinion. But what we must do as Christians, or what the tolerant Christian does, is the tolerant Christian questions his own belief continually. Whereas intolerant people are not willing to collect, uh, to question their own beliefs because they are caught up in defeat beliefs, defeat Peter believing. A, delief, a defeat a belief is a belief that defeats other beliefs. So let me give you an example. If you hold a defeat belief to be true, whether it's true or not is irrelevant. If you hold a defeat belief to be true, you cannot possibly hold certain other beliefs to be true too. Because the defeat belief rules certain other beliefs out of court and thus defeats them. So a good example, and I come across this on a regular basis, those of you that have read the case for Christ or those of you that want to make an argument or... or, um, to communicate apologetically our faith to those who are of no faith. An example of that could be, for instance, if you believe that there is no other way to salvation, and that those who think there is only one way to salvation are ignorant and intolerant, then voices that insist Islam is the only way, or that Jesus is the only way, will not be credible to you because your defeated belief that there is no one true way cancels out any of those beliefs from being true. You will dismiss their beliefs as being ignorant and intolerated, intolerant, nicely defeated by your own belief that there cannot possibly be only one way to salvation. Your, defeat, your belief has defeated theirs. So if we, as Christians, seek to articulate well to those people that have plausible structures... Uh, and that they pursue that and they allow defeated beliefs, we cannot move forward. So we as a church here, we talk about our values here that we, that we have, a, a, as, as a, and I think after church news this morning, I think humor is slowly becoming that value that's getting far, far higher uh, up our list of priorities here at the church. But do you know what our two top values are in this church? Truth and love. Truth and love. Love comes first. Love beats anything, doesn't it? the love of God, but a thirst for the truth. And I say this, and I don't say this lightly, I've said it to anybody else. If anyone, 
anyone. You could be listening to me online. You can want to come walk into the church doors here right today. If you can come up to me and give me plausible truth that would deconstruct the Christian faith as I hold it today, I will have no problem in converting. Such is my thirst for the truth. The challenge that you have and the challenge that I have is every time I learn more about our universe, learn more about science and learn more about God through my own personal experiences, what is happening is the evidence that I have for this book being true is becoming overwhelming by the day. But am I open and intolerant to uh, to look at other views? Absolutely not. I regularly read science articles, regularly listen to other people, uh, people of other faiths to try and get an understanding of how we are to behave as Christians. And I'm going to finish with a phrase from the most tolerant person that ever walked to the face of the earth at the end, and it might surprise you when I tell you who, we, who it is. So before we um, pick four points out of this subject, let's finally, someone says, Phil's going to turn to God's word, but I needed to give you that rather large half my message introduction before we jump in it. Turn with me to God's word and to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we're going to read from verse 18 together. Here's a word of Paul the Apostle to the church at Corinth, where he says this, we're going to read from verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. I was expecting raucous hallelujahs and amens to come. Can I say that again? For the, or can I say it in the, uh, in the King James Version? For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us that are saved, it is the power of God unto salvation. Verse 19, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demanded signs. Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to jews and foolishness to gentiles when we preach christ and when we advocate christianity by default it becomes a stumbling block something for someone to trip over a stumbling block to the jews and to the gentiles that's the rest of the world the gentiles will think that we are foolish so if you have a problem with that get with it grow up don't be offended people will always think because you're a christian that you are foolish but God is choosing the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And if I'm foolish to, for the sake of Jesus, then tell you what, burn me on the stake tomorrow. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. 
Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. What a fantastic passage of scripture. Isn't it? Because the church itself and many Christians have become intolerant themselves. And I'm not trying to talk about kind of intolerance in the traditional word. I'm becoming, they're becoming intolerant or they're exercising this new word, uh, you know, the way tolerance is, imp- in, is interpreted today. Christians get offended by so many different things. And it makes me just wonder why everyone gets offended. The Bible speaks quite clearly that we should be unoffendable. Are you unoffendable? Are you? Because if you're not, you need to work to come into Christian maturity. That people can say what they want to you and you'll just turn the other cheek. So, I want to look at this morning four things quickly that we look at which makes a tolerant Christian. If you want to be able to call yourself a tolerant Christian, then I believe looking at God's word, these are the four things that we require. And I'm talking about tolerant in its true meaning now, okay? In its true meaning about being unoffendable and being diverse as Jesus taught uh, and did. Number one, we seek truth. Proverbs 4 tells us, get wisdom at all costs. Do we as a church seek truth? Do we seek truth at all costs? I remember being brought up uh, as a child to remember a story that was told about uh, Darwin. And that Darwin and his later life had recanted all of his works and had come to faith in Jesus Christ on his deathbed. How many of you have heard that story? How many of you heard that story? Yeah. Rubbish. Total poppycock. He never did. There's not one person that has been found that has evidenced that. It would really help the Christian argument if it was so, wouldn't it? But we are people that know the truth and the truth sets us free. Can I tell you what? Does the preaching of the cross suddenly crumble? Does Jesus and the reality that he rose from the dead suddenly become untrue because that story is proved to be false? Does it? The cross of Christ doesn't need any defense whatsoever. It stands cowering. Amongst everything, I am called to defend the cause of Christ and I'm called to defend it and preach it and I will till my dying day. But it doesn't need me. You can shoot me, you can kill me, you can silence me. There will raise up an army of the kingdom of heaven to continue the message that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth and the life and that he is mighty to save. Amen? Amen. So let's not cower in our faith and think that it's a weak thing. Our faith is a strong and mighty thing. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And the way that we need to do it as Christians is we need to do it radically and properly and truthfully. Please don't come up to us after a church service and after someone's prayed for you and claim a healing that you've not had. Please don't come up to us and say that, well, I asked the pastor to pray for me. I had a bad shoulder. And you know what? It's beginning to feel a little bit better. Fantastic. And I see you, you know, three weeks later, you still got a bad shoulder. I'll be the first to tell you, brother and sister, that you've not been healed if it's still hurting. If you want to come and tell me that you've had a cancer scare and you've gone and they've had this MRI scan and that you have cancer and you believe God has healed you, I'll say to you, go back and have an MRI cancer scan again and if it comes back all clear I'll be inclined to believe that God has healed you 
But if you haven't, please don't claim things that aren't real. That makes you mad. That's what that makes. And so what happens is all of Christianity has got caught up in this false ideology that for some reason the cross of Christ and the message of Jesus can't stand by itself anymore. That we need to help it along. And if you're a good-meaning Christian here that wants to take some of the teachings that are in here and some of what it teaches about some really tough subjects, okay? You know, one of the big tough subjects, if you want to see the one that's going to be probably under the biggest persecution going forward for us, is, and all of this is always how we deal with the vulnerable people, euthanasia. It is coming down the track at us as a society. We're going to have to answer questions about it. I have a biblical view on it. Okay, and the biblical view is, look, look, God measures the length of our life and everything, and, and, and that's the way I am. When I, when I fall off this mortal coil church, it will be when he decides. I don't get to decide how. I might be ill in a hospital bed for weeks. I might have to suffer a result. But please, allow me to go and cross over into eternity biblically. Can you do that? Those of you, my friends and family, that might have to make those decisions about me, please honor my beliefs, which is, it's God that decides when I'm going home and nobody else. Now, I might have to put up with pain and suffering, and I absolutely understand people that want to kind of make those things come early. But I can't explain it, how life is a very gift from God that we need to cherish. And that's one that is going to come under increasing persecution. So ourselves as Christians, we must seek truth in our own lives and in our own faith and how we live it out. So are you, if you're a tolerant Christian, are you a truth seeker? You're getting into God's word and wrestling with some of these big subjects in order to come to an opinion yourself. And the second thing I want to say on that point is there are several opinions. So if you're listening to this online or um, you want to talk to me after, if you're in the room about this and you disagree with me, do you know what? You're entitled to your view. We're not going to get offended, are we? Are we? No. Because if you're going to get offended, what is the rest of the church going to tell you after, over a cup of coffee earlier, later? For goodness sake, grow up. But do you know what? Nobody's going to say the same thing to you either. If you've got a, a different, diverse view to mine on your interp- interpretation of Scripture, do you know what I'm more likely to say? Well, show me how you come to that conclusion. That you might guide me to truth. Because, you know what? You might be right. So we've got to wrestle for the truth instead of standing on our defeat-beater type thinking, a defeat-belief type thinking that we have in our minds. Secondly, as well as seeking truth, we must speak the truth. Voltaire said, I disapprove of what you say, but I will die for your right to be able to say it. We need to be people that speak the truth. In fact, Ephesians 4 verse 15 says us that we speak the truth in love. And we'll finish uh, with that in a moment where we, uh, where we look at how love and compassion is so important to what we do. But we must be people that stand for truth. Shouldn't we? Stand for what we believe force the conversation not roll over and let everybody tickle our tummy about it you know our nation has made a decision about brexit hasn't it everybody got out and voted now if we had voted in what would all the people that had voted out been saying to uh, everybody that voted in democracy took its path and out is out and in is in isn't it 
But it is, isn't it amazing that when there's a large enough voice that suddenly don't like our democratic process and the decisions that it turned out, a lot of people are thinking that we need a second reverend, referendum. Now, whatever your opinions, and you think we should have a second referendum, well, I would say to you, well, are we going to have referendums about referendums now then? Because it's like this cycle that leads to this like madness where people, what, did they not have the right information to decide or whatever? Listen, everybody made the case. But we can't have a madness in society, can't we? Last time I checked, in the UK here, the speed limit on the motorway is 70 mile an hour, isn't it? In a pluralistic society, let's have it kind of whichever way we want, that we can do whatever we want. Some can go 90, some can go 30. In fact, I'm a radical, I am. I think I should drive on the other side of the road and go up it. You'd think I'm mad, wouldn't you? But we need to have standards. We need to have a system in order uh, to do it in our society. But let's wrestle for the things and speak the truth that we hold dearly to. So a tolerant Christian, number one, seeks the truth. Number two, speaks the truth. And number three, is prepared to stand for the truth. Matthew 5, verse 44 says this, But I tell you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who mistreat you and persecute you. The way that we stand for truth as Christians is in a non-militant way. We do not wreck bus stops. We do not kind of, you know, the kind of violent extremism stuff. It has no place in our society. That's not what Jesus Christ advocated at all. But we stand for the truth. And the way that we stand for the truth is that we love our enemies. We bless those who curse us. We do good to those who hate us. It's a big one, isn't it? And pray for those who mistreat you and persecute you. Can I ask you, how many terrorists are you praying for today? Jesus died for the terrorists, didn't he? Answer me, church. Did Jesus die for terrorists? You know the type. The type with backpacks and explosives on them. That type. Did Jesus die for him? Absolutely. But... Is it false ideology? Is it the type of truth that he has and his particular worldview that's led him to that journey and you to where you are? You are. God's grace is for him too. And what we do so often in Christian churches, we see that him as being the enemy, not the force that's behind it. What do we say? We can say so glibly somewhere, God hates the sin, not the sinner. But I tell you what, so many Christians, you've only got to go on your bulletin board and see people that hope you rot in hell stuff that goes on. I tell you, it just drives me to despair, some real right-wing Christians that are out there. We stand for truth. Pray for those who mistreat you and persecute you. The words of Jesus Christ himself. So, a tolerant Christian, number one, seeks the truth. Number two, speaks the truth. Number three, stands for truth. And number four, and finally, is loving and compassionate. Ephesians 4 verse 15 says, speaking the truth in love. I want to finish with a phrase from Scripture which is probably the most tolerant phrase I could find. It took me about a week and a half to find it. I'd be really intrigued to see what you could come up with when you're looking for it yourself. But I decided to go on a quest to try and find it because I wanted to finish with a phrase. 
And it's no surprise that uh, the phrase that I found comes from Luke's Gospel. And it comes from Luke's chapter 23, verse 34. But let, you, let me give you the context of where it came from. The words are spoken by Jesus Christ himself. The very Son of Man who came to earth, put on flesh, and that I believe died for me. And when he came to earth, instead of treating him like the Son of God, we treated him like dirt. Mocked him. And the kind of organized society of that day decided that they could do no more with this man that was coming to speak peace and compassion and love and heal people and fix people and set demon-possessed free. That was his offense transforming people's lives for the good they couldn't tolerate that anymore because he was breaking down the very structures of those that were enjoying and the temple life and enjoying what was going on both in the roman world and in uh, the pharisees and the sadducees that were running the temples in those days so what they did was they falsely accused him of something that he didn't do they had no words to condemn him he went from a high priest to a Roman governor and back and forth. And in the end, a decision was made in a kind of a sham court just to say, what do you want with him? And they took him and they beat him cruelly. If you've seen the film, The Passion of the Christ, I encourage you to watch it. Brutal, brutal. What happened to the Savior of the world? And so he took the lashes. This is the Savior of the world. You know that song, he could have called 10,000 angels, couldn't he? He could have just gone like that and <laughs> history, man. But instead, he tolerated it. He put up with every stripe. He put up with every beat beating. And when he's there on the cross, the most tolerant person I have ever read about stretched out his hands after a grueling afternoon of being tormented. They put nails in his hands, his feet, thorn of crowns on his head to mock him. His back is raw from the beatings and lashes that he's had. And he's let out the most tolerant words I can find in Scripture. The tolerance words are these. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. He understands, you see, he understands the darkness of the world. He understands that all of us in seeking to find the truth find it so difficult to get at it. And he knows that in our ignorance, many of us in this room have said things that we've regret. We, we know that unless we align our lives around with the truth that's, that God would have us to understand that we are truly lost. And I thank God for the day that I met Jesus. Now, whether you think I believe in the elves at the bottom of the garden when I say I believe in Jesus, listen, I'm cool with that. But all I can tell you is that he came into my life and into the life of billions of people on this planet and transformed it. And the offer for us today is still there. So I want to ask you, are you seeking truth? Are you really a tolerant person? If you are, can I ask us as a church to review where we are? But I can ask you, if you're listening and you're a guest here today and you're fighting with faith, 
I want to give you an offer today, which is to come to the altar. We sing this song, you know, the, there's nothing that can take away our guilt and the shame and a lot of things that we've all done. Lots of us are looking for forgiveness and meaning. It can only be found in the cross of Jesus Christ. And I thank God for the day that I came to him and said, Oh God, I'm hurting. I'm hurting. I need you to come into my life. Paul, let's sing it together. Come on, let's stand. This message was brought to you by ABC Church. For more information, please visit our website at www.abclife.org or search for us on Facebook or Twitter. You can also contact us by phone on 01269 596000.